Welcome to The Marketer's Journey, a podcast that delivers real conversations and fresh perspectives from senior marketing executives who share the journey they've taken and the buyer journey they create. And now here's your host, Randy Frisch. Welcome to The Marketer's Journey. I'm Randy, and today I've got a great guest. It's Karen Peterson, who's the CMO at Lendio. Now, Karen's career is one that's all about jumping into opportunities. And we've heard this before, but she's done so at a company called Ancestry for 13 years. She left there about three, four years ago and has been able to take that and become CMO multiple times in a company now at Lendio that's really on the rise with the need for small businesses to be able to count on lending these challenging times. Now, if you look really into Karen's background, there's some interesting things in there. She took opportunities like moving around the world to oversee an office in a country, one that I think of very highly being Canada, as well as even jumping in to be an interim CMO of a company at Ancestry Size, a company that had 150 marketing teams. And we talk about how that prepped her to think about building teams today. So a big part of our chat today is how do you build the right modern day marketing team? What are those pillars that are gonna be key to your strategy going forward? And, and I think, you know, I'll give Karen a lot of, of respect because I think a lot of us think about jumping around to get that. And Karen hits on this in our podcast today, which is, you know, when you see a company go through these life cycles, you learn about different stages. You see different companies within that company. One of my board members and a, a former guest on this podcast, Alyssa Fink, who had a 12-year run as CMO at Tableau, talked about that too. The company evolves and your career evolves. And this podcast today is all about that evolution. Here's my combo with Karen Peterson. Hey, Karen, thanks so much for stopping in to chat about your journey. Let's start with where you are today. Tell us a little bit about how you landed in this opportunity in a, I'm sure, very hectic space at Lendio, servicing small businesses. What's it like to be the CMO there? Well, first of all, thanks for having me, Randy. I love it. I love this podcast, and it's definitely a pleasure. Being at Lendio right now has been one of the most exhilarating, rewarding, challenging moments. And and a lot of that is fueled from the fact that we are the largest lending marketplace for small businesses in the country. And um, we are growing an early growth stage company, but in particular, because this year with the pandemic, everything changed with the paycheck protection loan and, and the way that we were able to accelerate our program to be able to facilitate loans for, you know, 100,000 more plus small businesses, 8 billion in loans. Um, It just, it was such a, again, exhilarating time um, earlier this year, especially since I just joined this year. So if I look through your career to date on, on a platform like LinkedIn, there's something that calls out to me, which is that you seem to really embrace challenges and throw yourself into the unknown, if you will. I mean, you gave that example just now of Lendio and and you went there at a time where the pandemic had already kicked off. So you knew what you were getting into, right? Definitely. How has that kind of shaped you as a leader? Because, it, you know, just to give people some other examples, and maybe we'll unpack them. 
I mean, you you took on managing a country, Canada, one that I'm from, uh, you know, for a certain amount of time in your 13 years at Ancestry. Uh, and then as well, you know, you took on a interim CMO role, which we'll, we'll hit on too. But how do you think about this mindset of like jumping into those opportunities or how do you get selected? Yeah, you know, I think it's, I think it really is a readiness at any point to take advantage of an opportunity. And one of the things I've thought about a lot um, in my career professionally, but also personally, is just the willingness to be adaptable and being agile and taking advantage of opportunities. And I think I probably did that early on in a moment um, at Ancestry when different opportunities came up. The first one being taking on the Canadian business. And when I did that, and it was such a rewarding opportunity for me, and it was such a game-changing moment in my career, that it reinforced that mindset of being open and agile and adaptable and taking advantage of different opportunities. So a lot of times I think we're shaped by what, what experiences we've had. And when you ends up being a positive one, then it just, it translates and it accelerates and you start doing more of it. So I have found for me that being open to various opportunities all along the way has been all of the difference. So I want to dig a little deeper specifically on this mindset to move countries. Mm -hmm. uh, and I've had various guests over the years join and talk about willingness to do this or jumping at those opportunities. Is that something in your case that you let certain people know in the company that you were open to international travel, that you're open to relocating? How do you how do you mesh that in so that when they go to look for that person maybe in Canada, they think of you first? You know, I think around the time that I took on this Canadian opportunity, I had I had really been much more aggressive in my approach, much more confident in, in presenting kind of opportunities and problems around the business. I, to be clear, I had started working on the Canadian business from the U, U.S. office, and I just was becoming much more um, active and proactive in putting together plans. I think that they saw that. I think that they saw me as a challenger. Um, I think they saw me as someone who was willing to speak up about you know, opportunities. And, and I won't lie, there's always a little mix of luck and timing involved. I mean, truthfully, behind the scenes, what happened the day that they asked if I would be willing to move to Toronto, I giggled a little bit and said, there's no chance my husband would consider moving to Toronto. I don't know that that would work out for us. And then probably two hours later, after I had a conversation with my husband, because he had a thriving business, a small business of his own, after two hours, I went back to my boss and I said, sorry, I absolutely want to consider this opportunity. We will we consider us, you know, somebody willing to do it. It takes courage though. It takes courage and it takes reflection. And, you know, sometimes those quick decisions, like you said, two hours to rally and say, okay, keep me in the running here. Yes. You know, because businesses make these quick decisions. You know, if we fast forward in the career, and, and, and again, you had 13 years at Ancestry, which is you know, a topic in its own, you know, in terms of that type of loyalty. But one of the things that it earned you was an opportunity to be CMO in the interim. How was that pitch to you? And how did you determine whether that was the right call? Because I think sometimes, you know, you hear people in their career and they say, okay, I'm going to leave this company now to go become CMO. You know, what about the opportunity to be interim was, was exciting for you? 
It was at a time there was a lot of change happening at Ancestry in that moment. We were we were bringing on um, a new investor, just another kind of inflection point of growth. We actually had had a, a liquidity event where some of our senior leadership in marketing had exited the company on their own. And so there were a few key leaders that we had just expanded in our responsibility and ownership to make sure that the team was continuing to thrive. And it became an opportunity where we were looking for a few key senior leaders to join the business across the business, not just in marketing, but across technology and product as well. And when I had a conversation with the CEO and he he proposed that I take on this role as they were continuing to do an executive search, which I was part of helping to find, you know, a, a CMO to take on the role. Again, it was just an oppor- it was an opportunity that there was no there was no weight there was nothing in my body ever that would have considered saying no or even hesitating, because one it was a it was an opportunity that uh, with a company that I loved uh, the expanded role was something that I felt was a challenge. That's the reason I stayed at Ancestry for 13 years because I felt like I had all of these different careers all while staying at the same company. You know, it's always for me all about. Are you contributing value? Do you feel valued? Are you being challenged? You know, do you have new opportunities? Are you learning? Those are all the things that are important to me. And so taking on an interim CMO role, fully knowing that it was only an interim CMO role and that it was not in the cards that that would be my, my job, no matter what how I performed, we, was, we were actively looking for um, someone external to come in. I just thought it was a great opportunity, another learning opportunity, another level of insight, another level of exposure to the board and to the executive team and everything else, and just another opportunity to make an impact. That's great. And and how did that help you in what came next? I mean, you became a CMO ultimately at, at uh, Brainstorm. I think I got it right. Okay. Uh, and then now you're at Lendio. How did that six-month opportunity with a glimpse in and obviously a company at a completely different scale help you jump in and and run at the CMO level out of the gate? There were a few things that for me were really critical um, in, in where I was in my career. One, um, I, you know, table stakes, I wanted to be at a high growth company um, in everything I do. I wanted to be at a company with an amazing culture. Um, I want to be at a point where, again, I'm contributing value. And those are things I, I've already, I've already kind of mentioned and said. But the other things that I layered onto that was that I really, really enjoy being at a level to where I'm talking about the corporate strategy. And, and so for me, it was less, much less about the title. Different titles mean different things at different companies. But the fact that I was sitting at the C-level and able to influence the strategy of the company, the culture of the company, those were things that became really important to me. And so having had that experience at a much larger company like Ancestry, and then even translating that into Brainstorm and now Lindio, you know, being able to take what I saw in all of those years of growth, rapid growth at Ancestry, and then apply it to a company that's a little bit of an earlier stage, that to me is super exhilarating. And again, that broad view, I always like to think about wherever you sit, you really should have a certain hierarchy. Customers, number one, then the company, then your team, then an individual. And if you keep that kind of hierarchy in order, you really can't go wrong. 
And so I, like everyone, I can sit at the C-level and really obsessively promote the customer and what they need and think about it from a corporate you know, company level and then on down. So at every level, your main team is the team, your, your peer group that surrounds you. My main team now is you know, the C-suite, followed by the executives broadly across the company, and then my marketing leadership team, and then the marketing team. That approach can be applied to all of these different companies now, you know, whether it's Ancestry or now Lindio. That's great advice. I, I really love that point. We're going to take a short break here on the podcast. We'll be right back with Karen. We're going to talk about the buyer journey and how she's been able to put in place different things she's learned along the way to, as she said, a very challenging time right now at Lendia. Want to improve the buyer journey for your customers and your prospects? Look no further than our presenting sponsor, Uberflip. Named a leader in content experience by G2 and a leader in content activation by Forrester, Uberflip will help you accelerate every buyer journey by creating bingeable experiences that will allow your prospects to consume more content faster. Companies like Trimble, Wiley, and 3M are using Uberflip to power their go-to-market strategies, and we created one just for you. Head to uberflip.com journey to see how Uberflip can help you leverage the power of personalized content experiences. I want to go a little bit deeper there. Right at the end, Karen said something that I think is so important for all of us to realize. That we often think as marketing leaders that our team is specifically our team. It is the marketers who report into us. And that doesn't matter if you're the CMO, a director, a VP. You think of your team sometimes as those who have direct reporting structure into you. What we need to also realize it is the rest of your team. So within the marketing team, as an example, if you are at the director or VP level, you've got a team within there who are the other marketing leaders. And together, you have to show that united front to your marketing team. When you get up to the C level, you get up to the VP level, the rest of your team is also the rest of the executive team. It can also include the board of directors as part of that. And it's so important that we find time to spend with our various team structures. I think for a lot of us, that's a bit of a tricky dynamic to break out of when we think about the accountability of those who report into us versus those who can be our peers and perhaps the best at guiding our, our career. So Karen, at the peak at Ancestry, I think you told me it's over 150 marketers, large organization, you got to be that CMO, and now you're jumping in with a growing organization, big ideas, but a team around 15. Right. How do you think as you jump in, in terms of you know whether it's restructuring that team, hiring around that team, what are your initial pillars for a modern marketing team? I think it's important that this level that you come in with frameworks and ideas and everything in mind. And I did. I have I have certain things that I've seen with pillars that really, really work. But then it's really important to come in and listen and figure out how you can apply those frameworks to the particular company and to the particular time. 
So I came in thinking about a couple of pillars that I knew we wanted to expand on. We have a really strong content marketing engine. We have a clear demand gen engine. We have a growing PR and comms function. We have a brand new creative organization. And we had one product marketer. And of course, product marketing is a little bit of a lot of things. So when I came in, I said, absolutely, let's create a more of an integrated campaign brand strategy product marketing function. And I know that's a lot all woven in, and we all know that there's differences and distinctions between those. But again, we're a growing organization, so we're not going to hire five people to do roles that we can have one person extend into or two or three people extend into. So having that kind of integration pillar was really important. So help me understand that one because it, and we fully didn't rehearse this, but I'm debating the same on my team oh, too. Yeah. Right? I mean, when we have smaller teams, yours is around 15 people now, so about a tenth of what you had, as we said. You know, we, we can't necessarily have a head of every discipline, or we become too spread and too too disjointed, especially now when everyone's remote. So, so what do you? How can you make all those different areas that you rhymed off? roll up? Like what's at the top and what reports in on that side? Yeah. So I, if I think about it, I think of product marketing as different functions. There's there's the competitive intelligence and the product positioning and the messaging, but there's also sales enablement. And then there's also the function where you're really partnering with the product team, thinking through the insights and the experience for new product evolutions and features. Then when you think of a go-to-market plan, how are they often communicated? Well, through campaigns of sorts. So for me, being able to have campaigns and product marketing together has made sense for a long time because then you actually have the outcome tied to the research and the inputs. So those two to me work really well together. And then you have a little bit of a distinction around brand strategy. And when I mean brand strategy, I'm going to say what all marketers say. I'm not talking colors and logos, although that's a piece of it way down in there. I'm talking what is the company trying to accomplish in their three-year or five-year plan? And how does that translate down into the architecture of how the different products and pieces come together, how we talk about them, what the naming and the the, um, positioning of them all are? To me, so integrated that you really can have a few people that play in the space of brand strategy, messaging, value positioning all together. And then I have dis- I have purposely tried to find the areas that I can pull apart to make them distinct. And for me, that is more around uh, lifecycle marketing and automation with an automation lean. To me, that's an area that I can pull out and have a group really, really tightly orchestrated around programmatic pieces that they can partner with with the sales organization. And again, if I really, if I tell you how I really did it for Lindio, it's a matter of I came in with the pillars, I talked to the organization, I understood where we were, I understood what areas were kind of holes that we needed to add into. I knew that we had strong channel execution. And then I worked with the C team to understand our three-year vision and how it translated into the next year. And so I ultimately decided I don't need to build an organization that will last three years. I need to build a strong organization for 2021 that maps to the most important things that the business is trying to accomplish and how marketing can accelerate that. And for me, that came out with, again, lifecycle marketing, database marketing, 
really a broader PR and comms view with a, a real investment in brand building. Um, we have new products that we are bringing to market in 2021, meaning I really need a go-to-market function within product marketing. So I got a question for you on that one, actually, because you, you just, when you broke it out for us earlier, you were talking about this product marketing and demand side that, that works really well together. And then the brand and strategy side is a little bit different. Right. But as you described it, Lendio, I mean, Lendio has had a ton of success, but there's a much bigger vision for where this company is going. Right. And how do you get it to the point where you're speaking to what you have, which I assume is going to be the product marketing and the demand folks, but I guess, is it the brand and strategy side that's trying to paint that future, paint that, you know, late 2021 picture? That's exactly right. Because for... For a long time, Lindio was primarily the loan marketplace. And now, in many ways, the loan marketing marketplace has expanded. We also have a bookkeeping product as well called Sunrise. So now not only can people come in and we can help align your books and get your statements and transactions in order so that you are prepped for a loan, or we can help you facilitate a loan through us, but then we can also make sure that your books are in order on the backside. And then, of course, in that loan facilitation, we have lending partners who are working with us as well. So they're actually a big customer audience for us as well. And when you take a step back and have a broader perspective, we are no longer just more of the high volume transactional piece. We are an ecosystem where we are advocates for small business owners and help them through their financial management in multiple ways. And we are a great partner with lenders because we can offer them digital solutions when they might not have them themselves. We can offer them leads that are high quality that can help match for them and prioritize their customers. So it's a much, much bigger, broader view. And therefore, now investing in the relationship with customers and a relationship with lenders and, and really having Lindio be known as a key brand that's going to be the biggest distinction for us, not just being the largest marketplace, but just absolutely, you know, holding our spot as the leading marketplace and the most well-known brand equity is going to be one of the biggest things that distinguish us there. Yeah, absolutely. For sure, a competitive space and an evolving one is, as you hit on. For those who, who just listen to that and they're trying to think how they bring this into their organization, you know, because they, there's a lot of companies that right now are trying to redefine themselves to remain either relevant through the pandemic or what you know the world will look like on the other side of this. When you described a lot of, of those strategy changes, I'm curious who you tap first to pave the path there. Is it that product marketer? I know you said you only have one today. So right. That's a lot on a product marketer. Or is it more that brand strategist? Who's Who's in the room with you when you're trying to take that three-year vision that the exec team painted for you? Is it is it you and one of those individuals? Because we can't pull our entire marketing team of 15. They get distracted. Right. Well, I think most important, the foundation is that I always say performance and demand fuels brand expansion. So without a doubt, the first person I talk to is head of demand to make sure that that is the foundation that will allow us to do and expand anywhere else. I have a very, I've built 
over time, I think from just managing the Canadian business or different opportunities that I've had, um, where uh, my approach is very much prove it out in a scrappy way, then ask for the investment rather than coming in and saying, I need a brand budget and I'm going to spend a million dollars and I promise it's going to be awesome. You know, how? <laughs> so let's use, let's say without a doubt, we are going to have the best demand gen engine around with the best economics. And so that's stop number one. Then stop number two, you know, I did add one um, new. So we went from one to two, which from a percentage standpoint is a huge increase in the product marketing and brand strategy area. Absolutely. So now we have two there. And I do use, you know, as, as I'm evolving, there will be consultants or a contractor or somebody that particularly I've worked with in the past that I might be able to use on a small temporary basis to buoy up the team as I really figure out, again, the right areas to invest. But I am sitting down with not just the C team when we're thinking about the um, growth and where we want to invest, but I really do sit down with those two, brand strategy, product marketing, and make sure that we are always starting with the customer. And if we really dig in on the customer, then a lot of the answers fall out of that. Absolutely. That's great advice. Karen, this has been fantastic. A real great deep dive into your team and one that's that's continuing to change. I, I think you said you've already hired seven headcount uh, in the time that you're there. So to your point, going from 15 to seven, that's a huge increase in what you can take on. And I'm sure more hiring to come. Yes. It's again, it's a, it's a smart investment. It's not just about headcount. It's really about capability and synergy and making sure that you know, we're growing in the right places at the right time for what the company's trying to accomplish. It's exciting. Absolutely exciting. We're going to take a quick break. We'll do one little quick question for you after that, right back here on The Marketer's Journey. So this episode, we're getting to go really deep on this idea of marketing team structure. And to be honest, I almost always end up chatting with my guests either on air or usually more often off air about a key hire they're looking for, a way they're trying to reorganize their team. And I think this is a big challenge for a lot of us. The mindset of the traditional marketing team, I believe, is gone. You know, we used to have someone who heads up demand, someone who ends up heads up content, someone who ends up PR and so on through different disciplines. But now we're trying to get teams to work closer together. And I think more than ever with the remote challenges that we have, it's become important to find the right teams that can marry with each other. And I'm curious if you took a step back and you tried to marry different heads of department within your team, who could you marry? Who works the closest together? Or how do you just get them all to communicate better with one another? This gets obviously very challenging depending on the size of your organization. If you're an enterprise, this is very important from the VP level. But if you're a growth company as well, how do you think about the heads, whether they're a director level or they're unofficially overseeing that team to really communicate better? So Karen, you've shared with us your career, the buyer journey. It's a lot of building. It's a lot of jumping in. How do you jump out though, right? And my question for you is, you know, these days we've talked about the pandemic again on this episode. 
you know, we, we feel connected all the time. Our teams are remote. How are you making it possible for people to connect, including yourself? Well, I'll tell you a couple of things personally, and then I'll, I'll maybe make it more about the team as well. When we all went remote, I, I actually had not joined Lindio yet back in March. You know, I was having conversations with them, but had not joined. We all came home. My kids were home, the whole thing. I just said, I'm going to come out of whatever this is. And no one knew what this was, you know, early on in March. I'm going to come out of this healthier than I went into it. I've always had a really long commute and I use that commute to actually disconnect. Let's talk. I do talk to family and friends. I listen to podcasts. I'm things that really bring me joy, learning and things because I'm a bit of a nerd and I love it. But once I didn't have that commute two hours a day, I started doing yoga and all of these things, more meditation practices and things that were really, really fuel for me at a time when things were getting increasingly hard and weird and different outside all around us. That's great advice. Yeah, I think a lot of us look to take that commute time and do more work. Right. Versus, to your point, find ways to fill it in, in, in healthy ways. Yeah. I mean, for me, and I've always had a rule. I never walk in the house on the phone. I always, it, there's a beginning and there's an end. Again, listening to, and sometimes I have silence. Sometimes I'm listening to music. I just, I use that time to fuel me and make sure that I, it's a good transition it's a good transition from work to home and back again. And so you have to do that differently when you are home. When everyone's remote and you don't have a transition time, most people have some kind of commute. And so purposefully finding things that allow their brain to be quiet and disconnect is probably one of the best times that you actually start to think about who around you might need more support or need more, you know, need more love and energy. And the only way to have those that thought of who you can help is to be quiet, is to have some quiet time. And so that's been one of the things that I feel like there's an interrelation between disconnecting and connecting, you know, and if you're disconnecting well and being healthy and thoughtful, that is when you also are most thoughtful about people you can support and connect with. It's, a, it's hard to describe because it seems ironic. It's great advice. And any of this episode has been packed with that as, as you finish up this podcast, take Karen's advice, disconnect for a little, don't let Spotify play something next for you. You know, just, you know, take off those headphones, take a walk and, uh, you know, clear that mind. Uh, this has been great. If you've stumbled upon this episode with Karen for the first time with us, check out every week we're chatting with a marketing leader who's got into that C-level Everyone's path's a little different. At one point, I can't wait for you to share yours with us. A big thanks to Karen Peterson. This has been The Marketer's Journey. You've been listening to The Marketer's Journey podcast. Big thanks to our sponsors at Uberflip, who help you fuel demand generation with content for an accelerated buyer journey. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, at uberflip.com slash podcast, or anywhere you listen to podcasts. 